Hi everyone, uh, today's reading is from Philippians chapter two, beginning at 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fighting warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you send to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and, and, is, uh, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may, uh, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourself could not give me. Thanks, Beatrice. Uh, my name's Alex. I'm one of the ministers here uh, at St. Jude's. I look after sort of the campus here at Carlton and particularly the 10 a.m. congregation. It's lovely to be with you this evening. Uh, make sure you've got your Bibles out or if you've got your outline, you can open that as well. There's a place to write notes and also you can follow along. Uh, we're really committed to God's word here at Uni Church. We believe God speaks to us from it and my words only carry weight to the extent that they reflect God's words to us in scripture. So it's really important that as we preach, as I preach, uh, you have that in front of you as well. I've got a, a, a sort of a, an exercise for you. Uh, Amy just anticipated it earlier, so you'll uh, uh, be well clued up for it. So think of a, a role model in your life, uh, someone you admire, someone you want to kind of imitate or emulate. So you probably already thought of someone because that's what you were doing before. What was it about them that you admired? You might want to write it down on the sheet of paper. What was it about that role model you admired? Uh, what was it about them that you wanted to imitate or copy or emulate? So maybe just take a minute now just to have a think. Uh, maybe write something down.
We might want to just keep that question at the back of your minds as we go through uh, the passage uh, this evening. Now, role models are important because life isn't just something that we learn from a book, is it? And that includes our Christian life. That's why Jesus didn't kind of just teach in a classroom and send out his students from lectures. He gathered them to himself and he shared his life with them. Our Christianity is something that we learn in relationship. We learn to pray and read the Bible. We learn to be generous. We learn how to approach our careers, how to be gracious and humble and forgiving. Not just by reading the scriptures, although they're really important, We learn it by seeing and experiencing these things in relationship with people. And so role models are really important. They're crucial in the Christian life. Now, I've been blessed to have uh, a number of wonderful role models in my life. Uh, I came to church as a 20-year-old around uh, the age of many of you here uh, at 30 uni. And my uh, journey to Christ was a journey, uh, but I remember that uh, kind of moment where I first acknowledged that Jesus was Lord. I was kind of sitting just over there, not at St. Jude's, but that part of the church uh, just after a sermon on Acts 2. Uh, you might want to have a look at the first part of Acts 2 uh, later on. A part of my journey up until that moment and then uh, leading out from that moment was uh, a lady named Mary Rowland. Uh, she was about 70. Uh, when I started coming to church and I met her. Uh, I came from a tricky kind of home life with not much background in church. Uh, And as soon as I started coming to church, Mary started to pray for me. Uh, She made sure that she came up to me every week and said, hello. Uh, She made sure uh, she asked me how I was. She encouraged me to read my Bible and to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Uh, She even told me off when I was being a bit of a jerk. And she did that right up until the time that I left to go to Bible college. I didn't go to Bible college because she told me I was being a jerk, just. (laughs) Now, I didn't really know what Mary was doing in my life at the time. I thought she was just being friendly. But she was intentionally role modeling, discipling me. And the thing is, I wasn't the only person that she was doing that for. Uh, Mary and her husband Stan were doing that for like heaps of other people. Each Sunday, they went to church twice. They came once in the morning and then once in the evening, specifically so they could invest in uh, people's lives like mine. And they did that for a few decades. Uh, Mary passed away about 15 years ago, but her legacy lives on in my life and in countless others. She was a wonderful example of humble, Christ-like service. Now, the reason that I share her story tonight is because I think that's where our passage takes us this week. Working out our salvation in humble service and following the examples of people who do that. Okay, let's have a look down at our passage. Uh, Make sure you've got it in front of you. Our passage begins in verse 12 and begins with a therefore. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that therefore signals that what follows the therefore is an implication of what's just come before. So if we want to uh, uh, understand that more, we need to look at what has come before. Uh, Paul has called the Philippians to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You go back to chapter 1, verse 27, that's what he says. That's kind of the big summary statement of the letter. 
And living our life in a manner worthy of the gospel means standing as one, contending for the gospel together. And to do this, Paul urges them to set aside a division and become united. One purpose, one mind, one love. And that kind of unity that he's calling for only comes through humility. When you set aside your selfish ambition, your conceit, and instead value others above yourself and you put their needs first. And that's what Sam uh, spoke to us about last week. Christ in his incarnation coming down to earth and his death on the cross for sin, he was the ultimate example of humility, of serving others. He's the ultimate role model for us and for our life together as Christians. And so then we come with that in mind to verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So if uh, what uh, follows is a direct implication of what comes before, working out your salvation means sharing Christ's mindset of humble service. That's how you continue to work out your salvation. And we do it with fear and trembling. When you read that, did you kind of go, oh, that's, that's a little bit odd, an odd thing to say, fear and trembling. Now, if we go back to last week, uh, Paul has just said, you know the comfort of God's love. You know his tenderness and compassion. Now obey in terror. It's a bit of a disconnect, right? You see, these original words here, they have a, quite a, a wide range of meaning. They could mean literally fear and trembling, uh, shaking with terror. Or they could have the sense of respect, of awe, of reverence, the kind of reverence you have in the presence of a king. Now, some of you might have read the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, some of you. There's a character in there called Aslan. He's a lion, but he's like the king, right? He represents Jesus. And if you've read the stories, you'll, you'll see that he loves his people and they loved him, but they treated him with respect and awe. They said he's a good lion, but he's not safe. He's not tame. He's the Lord, right? That's Jesus. He's the Lord. And so what I think Paul means here is continue to work out your salvation with due reverence and respect of the one that you serve he is the Lord of all. He is the name above every name. Keep that in mind as you live out your Christian life. And as he exhorts the Philippians, as he urges them, notice that Paul isn't having a go at him. He's not, he's not kind of rebuking them. He's urging them to continue, to press on. As you have always obeyed, continue doing that. I know your love for Christ. I know your love for each other, for the gospel. But don't rest on your laurels. Don't just kind of stay where you are. Keep going. Work out your salvation together. Also notice what else he's not saying. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work it out. Live it out. Live out the implications of the salvation that you have already received. Don't. Don't, don't work for your salvation, work it out. That's the logic here. And there's a world of difference between the two. 
Uh, there's a world of difference between doing things to get saved and doing things because you have been saved. Uh, you can work in order uh, to get married or you can get married and start to work in your relationship. You can do everything that you need to do uh, for your partner in order to persuade them to marry you and for some of us, we need to do a lot of persuading. Then there's working for your marriage. That's working for your marriage. On the other hand, having become married, you can do everything for your partner because you are married to them in response. It's a big difference. The motivation and the starting point are completely different. Uh, yesterday, I told my wife, Liz, to embrace her mistakes. And she turned around and gave me a hug. That's a good one, isn't it? So he's not saying work for your salvation. You know God's love and his tenderness. You know his mercy and forgiveness. You are saved. Christ has died for you. But live it out. Any musicians here? I know there's a few up here. Any artists? Any cyclists? If you are a cyclist, well, get on your bike. Right? No, not literally now, but you know. Right, if you're a golfer, go play golf. Whatever it is you do, go do it. You are a Christian. Work it out. Go be a Christian. Work out the implications of your salvation. A work is, is a very active word. And Paul has chosen it deliberately because we don't just kind of drift into godliness. It doesn't happen by accident. We don't just kind of let God and let go as if, you know, God saved me now, I don't have to do anything. You see, humble service takes serious effort and commitment. We've got to work hard at loving others above ourselves, right? For example, verse 40, it means do everything without grumbling and complaining. Now, this grumbling and complaining that uh, Paul is talking about, he's not talking about creative conflict or disagreements and differences of opinion. He's talking about the whinging and arguing that happens between people. The gossiping that we do about others behind their back when our noses have been put out of joint. It's a kind of grumbling we do when we get annoyed because we haven't got what we wanted. And the con context he's speaking to is our church, right? In their Philippians' life together. Whatever it is, whoever you're talking about or to, do everything, everything, without grumbling and complaining. Now, I imagine this expectation isn't uh, that this command would just apply to church life. Phew, church is over, I can grumble and complain again. Now, I imagine he expects this attitude to flow out into every area of our lives, at home, with our families. That's a challenge, isn't it? With our parents, brothers and sisters, at work, our colleagues, and even with our bosses. At school, at uni, in our friendship groups, everywhere, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Put your hand up if you've got this nailed. 
I don't think any of us finds it easy. I know that I don't. I know that grumbling and complaining comes very easily to me. You see, at at its heart, this kind of attitude comes down to a lack of humility. The Christ-like humility that we've been called to. We complain because we feel hard done by. Because we think our needs are more important. They haven't been met. We grumble because we haven't been recognised or respected or regarded the way we think we deserve to be. And what does Paul say? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. These things, I think, have a bit of an inverse relationship. We have a little graph for you. On one axis is grumbling and complaining, on the other is humility. When one is high, the other is low. I was at 10 a.m. and I got a lot of feedback about the nature of the graph and I just said, look, I just pulled it off Google. <laughs> just, 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 just chill. The point is, when one is high, the other is low. Now, if graph isn't, a graph isn't your kind of thing, it's like this. It's like a seesaw, right? When grumbling is high, humility is low. When humility is high, grumbling is low. And so the key to kind of stop grumbling and complaining is not just more effort to stop, to just shut your mouth and not speak. The key is to cultivate humility, to look to Jesus, his character, his servant heart, and just work hard at putting each other's needs first, to regard others as more important. You know, it's not just about what you're thinking, it's about what you're doing. Just put each other's needs first. And when you're doing that, that will help me be more humble. That will help me complain less. Because grumbling and complaining is not just an individual thing, it's a, like a culture. Have you noticed how some workplaces, some groups uh, tend to have a culture of grumbling and complaining? And when you're in that situation and you're new coming into a situation or you're part of that, it's really easy to conform to that culture. And so cultivating humility is something that we need to, to do together to encourage each other to have a spirit of humility and to not grumble and complain. And as we do that work in our community, we will, as Paul says, shine like stars in the sky. We'll stand out amongst other people because Christ-like humility is uncommon and it's compelling. It's attractive. A community that doesn't grumble and complain, a community that puts each other's needs first, is attractive. People will notice and people will want to be part of that. It's not easy, but it's not a pretend goal. It's not some kind of uh, unattainable ideal. It's God's goal for our life together, and it's something that he's actively working in us by his Holy Spirit. Have a look there at verse 13. Work out your salvation for verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. His good purpose for us is humility. Yes, we need to work at it, consciously and deliberately, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit is actively working in us, individually, as a community, to will and act 
towards it, to value others more highly, to put each other's needs first. So let's pray confidently. First thing to do if you're struggling uh, to be humble, struggling to not grumble and complain is to pray. And when we pray, pray confidently for God's help. Let's pray along with this, this prayer from St. Augustine. O Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Ask God for the power to do what he commands and God will bless that desire and answer that prayer for humility. Well, we get to this kind of next large section of our passage, verses 19 to 30, and it kind of feels a bit like a big gear change. Full stop, new idea. Now I really need to talk to you about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now it kind of seems like Paul is just sending news and sorting out some travel plans, but there's more to it. Uh, If we go back to Paul's time, it was actually standard practice to use uh, models Uh, real-life models and examples in ethical teaching. Uh, Sometimes teachers used their own conduct uh, as a model for others, and sometimes they pointed to other people. Here's one example from a letter around his time, and it says this, "'Always be an emulator, dear friend, of virtuous men, "'for it is better to to be well spoken of "'when imitating good men "'than to be reproached by all men "'while following evil men.'" It's good advice, right? Do good, don't do bad. Copy good people, don't copy bad people. But the thing to note uh, is, I think we see this model played out in the letter to the Philippians. Paul has just before pointed to Christ as the ultimate example of humility, share his mindset. And later in chapter three, he'll hold himself up and others like him as a model of conduct for people to follow. And I think that's why he's mentioning Timothy and Epaphroditus here. He's not just talking details, he's actually holding up these guys as as examples of Christ-like service. He's holding them up as examples for the Philippians and for us to see and to follow. Well, first there's Timothy. He was like a son to Paul, his protege, his St. Jude's trainee, if you like, in the faith. Uh, You can find out uh, more about Timothy uh, in the letters that Paul wrote to him while he was in Ephesus, conveniently titled 1 and 2 Timothy. That's the clue. Uh, Paul often sent uh, messages with Timothy to churches, just like he's sending this message. Uh, Paul's intention here was to send news with Timothy to the Philippians and for Timothy to come back with news of them so that Paul himself might be encouraged. That's how they did things back then, through letters couldn't message each other, this is the way they did it. But one of the things that I love that the fact that they did it in letters is that we have it before us today, right? And you can just see the evident love and warmth that they have for each other in their relationships. Now, part of what Paul is doing in writing about Timothy is commending him, saying you should, you, you should receive this guy and listen to him. But notice what he says in his commendation. Uh, Timothy, like Paul, is genuinely concerned for their welfare, not his own, but their welfare. Unlike others that are around Paul at the moment, uh, Timothy puts the interests of Jesus ahead of his own. 
This kind of familiar language links back to what we've just read. Timothy is an excellent example of putting other people first. He's a walking and talking example of Christ-like humility. And so Paul's words are a commendation of Timothy, but also a prompt, pay attention to this guy. Copy him, learn from him. Often the advertising uh, material for a conference, uh, uh, they'll list the speakers. Maybe you've been to a conference and often there'll be a list of speakers. They'll each have a bio of something, a biography uh, with a list of their credentials and their achievements. I assume that's because they'll, to give you confidence that they'll be worth listening to, but also it's a bit of a kind of talking themselves up, right? Well, look at this commendation that Timothy has. It's a very different sort of commendation, isn't it? Not, this guy's a gun preacher. He's an effective leader. He's a mega church pastor. That's not the commendation, is it? It's, this man loves others. This man loves you. This man loves Jesus. I remember once getting a leaflet for this Christian conference. Uh, On the leaflet was a big picture of the speaker's head and in big black letters uh, underneath the preacher's big head was this description, the greatest preacher in the world. I mean, how do you verify that anyway? It's like some external body. You look at that and you go, that's not humble, that's, that's crass, right? It's easy to spot. But Christians can often, more subtly, uh, slip into that kind of thinking and behaviour. Valuing credentials over character. Promoting worldly values rather than kingdom values. But the thing is, Greatness in God's kingdom isn't a collection of impressive titles. It's not a CV of outstanding abilities and achievements. Greatness looks like Timothy. Putting Jesus first. Serving and caring for others. Putting their needs before your own. Well, next we meet Epaphroditus, and he's another man like Timothy, another Christian worth imitating. He's part of Paul's circle as well, a brother and a co-worker, but he's also well known to the Philippians. Originally, um, uh, the Philippians sent uh, Epaphroditus with messages and supplies and gifts to support Paul's gospel work. And he did it amongst great adversity. In the course of his ministry to Paul, he became very ill, so ill that he almost died. Perhaps it was on his journey to deliver the messages to Paul. It's clear, however, that Epaphroditus is dear to both the Philippians and to Paul. Uh, But as Paul writes this, uh, Epaphroditus seems to have recovered, and so now Paul is kind of sending him back. You see, Epaphroditus wants to go. He misses his brothers and sisters. He loves them, and, and they love him, and they want to see him as well. And more than that, Epaphroditus is deeply dismayed because his church had heard, in in Philippi, the church had heard that Epaphroditus had almost died in his work. 
And because of that, they're upset. That's why he's upset. Did you get that? Epaphroditus almost died. But that's not what he's worried about. He's worried that they're worried about him. Now, just to be clear, Epaphroditus' attitude doesn't come from some perverse lack of self-worth, as if I don't deserve your sympathy or to be cared for. I imagine what's happened is that he's recovered and now he's concerned about the Philippians. And he's, Epaphroditus is just another humble believer. That's what he is, thinking of others first. So Paul says in verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. Welcome him with joy, honour him and honour those like him, people who give themselves for others in the work of Christ. Are the stories that we tell in our communities, the people that we honour, really shape the kind of culture we want to have, the kind of people that we want to be. And that's why we appoint an Australian of the Year each year. They show what we value, and for a year they get a, a platform to, sh- to shape the culture of our nation. Our Grace Tame was uh, the 2021 Australian of the Year for her courageous advocacy against sexual assault and abuse. And she did a wonderful service to us in moving the conversation forward on these issues. Uh, This year's award winner was Dylan Orcott. He was a Paralympian and he's a disability advocate. You see, these stories, these people show uh, who we want to be as a nation, how we want to shape ourselves as a nation that values, includes, cares for all people, right? And so here, Paul is telling the story of Epaphroditus. He's concerned for the gospel. He's concerned for others. He's Christ-like humble service. And he urges the Philippians to receive him with great joy. And he urges them to honour him and honour those like him. As I read this passage, it reminded me of something that we did last Saturday. There was a guy called Jeff Kennedy. Some of you might know him. He just retired. He been working with St. Jude's uh, on, uh, with the Estates Ministry for nearly 35 years. He was loved and well known on the Estates because he was such a humble, caring and giving man and it was appropriate that we had a farewell. We told his story. Uh, we have a new minister now for the Estates, uh, uh, Steve Sonneman, so we should pray for him, encourage him and maybe one of, we could work out how we could serve alongside him there. Well, a few years ago, I read this article where the author had kind of noticed a kind of shift in our contemporary Christian culture. And he he noticed it by looking at the kinds of books that were on the shelf in the Christian bookstore. And what he saw there was a lot of books about uh, fulfillment and achievement, about living well and fulfilling your purpose. Not so many books about sacrifice and serving others. Now, those things that he saw, there's, there's value in thinking through those things. But this kind of shift really reflects the direction of our culture 
more than the mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the predominant framework for the Christian life in Philippians 2 isn't personal welfare and self-fulfillment. That would be an odd way to read Philippians 2, wouldn't it? It's about humility. Thinking of others first. Putting others' needs before my own. That was the way of Christ. That was the way of Paul. That was the way of Timothy. That's the way of Epaphroditus. And that's the life we're called to emulate as we work out our salvation. Our humility is a cultural thing as well as an individual thing. So we should ask ourselves, what can we do together to help each other to greater Christ-like humility and service? Well, we help each other when we come to church. We sit under the scriptures together. But we don't just learn humility by hearing from the Bible or reading about it. Christian maturity happens in relationship. So let me encourage you as an outworking of what we've been learning and hearing over the past two weeks to actively look for godly role models, people who model the kind of humility that we've been hearing about. Uh, proactive, be proactive in seeking to build relationships, to share your life with a Timothy or a Epaphroditus or anyone who models this kind of humility. They could be someone older than you, but they don't have to be. They could be someone younger, someone your age. Timothy was a young man. You read that in the letters to Timothy, and he was a great model to people of all ages. If we want to start building these relationships where we learn and grow from each other, there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, Earlier in the week, we had our small groups launch night uh, where we had the opportunity to join a small group. Uh, If you haven't had that opportunity yet, come and see Sam afterwards. He'd love to connect you into a small group. They're so good because we get together to read the Bible, to pray and to share life together. We live life alongside each other. A great way to learn humility and encourage each other to godliness. If you're new-ish amongst us tonight, if you're, this is your first time, there's, uh, your first step in building a relationship might be just coming to dinner down at the Clyde, getting to know a few people. And as we all go out to dinner and mix together, let's be deliberate in our conversations. How can we spur each other to Christ-like humility? Maybe you could gather in a prayer triplet, a group of people where you, where you pray with each other. You could start serving at church You kind of kill two birds with one stone. Serving alongside others is a great way uh, to learn uh, from each other, learn the Christian life from each other and build relationship. But it's a great way to actually meet other people's needs when we serve them at church. You can do that here at Uni Church. You can do it on the estates. And as uh, Amy said, you could do it in our kids and youth ministry. She'd love to hear from you if uh, that's something that God has put on your heart. Uh, One of the good things about serving in the morning, and I'll just do a bit of an ad here, uh, it's a lovely way to build relationship with older Christians. Uh, And as we go through the, keep your eye on opportunities that we'll be talking about to build relationships right across our Carlton campus. And don't just look for godly models. Be one. We can all be one. We can be a Timothy and a Epaphroditus for someone else. 
Uh, there are lots of new people here at Uni Church, and there are some people who have been here for a while. If you've been here at Uni Church for a while, maybe take a friend and deliberately seek out some people you don't know uh, at dinner tonight. Get to know them. As an older member, it's your responsibility to serve our younger members. How do we do that? Let's pray that God will help us model and encourage each other to greater Christ-like humility.